it was around, yeah, I guess, 2018 when I had the random idea that I would go and, and take the course record at the Squamish 50-50. Uh, which was previously held by Caitlin Gerben, who's a professional runner and you know, has come forth at Western States. That was Jenny Quilty, and this is episode 139 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Jenny Quilty is a 34-year-old running coach and ultra runner from Abbotsford, BC, where she lives with her partner, Matt, and their two dogs. Jenny and her friend and business partner, Katrina, started their coaching company, Pacific Pine Running Company, in 2018. At this time, she was practicing as an occupational therapist, but left her OT job in 2021 to coach and run full-time. While in university, Jenny ran a few half marathons and a road marathon and discovered shorter trail runs in the Five Peaks Race Series. After finishing her graduate degree in occupational therapy, she needed a new goal, so Jenny started running ultras. Over the last four years, she has made quite the name for herself in trail and ultra running. Most recently, she won the UTMB Doi Inthanon 100 miler, being both a golden ticket race for Western States and a World Series qualifier for UTMB. This win gives Jenny interesting options for 2023. Keep listening if you're curious to find out more about Jenny and what she has planned for 2023. So Jenny, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you on the show this evening. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, You've been on my radar for quite a while. Well, essentially, you know, since you started to make a name for yourself in the running world, but also especially in December when you won uh, UTMB Thailand. Um, We're definitely going to talk about that. Congratulations, by the way. That was super exciting. I was following the race. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So many people were following and it it was such a special journey to know there were people at home, yeah, following along and hearing about it as it went on. For sure. Um, our mutual friend, Ehor, who we've talked to on the show before, as well as about, made sure he's like, she's racing, she's racing, she's winning, she's in this spot. And it was it was really fun uh, to follow from afar. So go Canada. Um, yeah. But before we get into some of your um, running and racing highlights, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm um, a local here in Abbotsford, B.C., and I've lived here for actually a lot of my life. Um, I, I grew up out here and then I moved away for university and went to the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And then uh, there I did my bachelor's of physical education and recreation. After that, I moved to Vancouver to go to UBC and I studied occupational therapy there. Um, and then I, I kind of resisted moving back to Abbotsford for a couple of years. I hopped over to the island and started um, working as an occupational therapist there. Uh, that's actually where I trained for my first ultra and then slowly moved back to Port Moody, BC while I was working in Abbotsford and eventually I took a job in Chilliwack. <laughs> and so I moved back across the bridge yeah, to Abbotsford, BC, and I've been here since. It's that resistance to like living in your hometown, right? You're totally. Just like, no, I'm no, 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 no. And then eventually <laughs> a lot of us come back. Well, and I left <laughs> yeah, 17. I was like, I'm never coming back. I'm off to university and bigger things. And I went to Edmonton, which is like winter wonderland <laughs> in a different way. And yeah, surely migrated my way back to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and yeah, now I own a house here and or a townhouse. And I think this is where I'll be probably, you know, in some way uh, for a long time. 
Yeah, well, I noticed this in your notes, and we were sort of talking about it a little bit before we hit record tonight, but uh, I thought it was interesting that you trained as an occupational therapist, and you did work, uh, you said, over on the island as an OT, but now I understand that you're doing coaching full-time, so what was that transition like for you? Because it very much mirrors (laughs) my career path. Yeah, it, it's so neat to hear like you mentioned that that was your path too, because it's just this like validation that I'm not, you know, crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy <laughs> or like doing something irresponsible <laughs> um, for lack of like a better word. But I, yes, I practice as an occupational therapist. Um, I graduated in 2015. So basically from 2015 until 2022. Um, and in that time, about, I guess it's about five years ago now. Um, one of my trail running best friends, Katrina, and I started doing some coaching together. And we had been asked by a lot of locals if we would put together programs for them if, or if we would give them tips. And we had hosted some workshops for local running stores. So we kind of just got talking after a long run one day, sitting down over a beer and some tacos. And we're like, hey, you know, we both are curious about this. We've both done it to some capacity. We both have backgrounds that would you know, make sense for this and, uh, and are super eager to continue learning. So we made an actual business and we started doing clinics, workshops, and one-on-one coaching uh, virtually. And it, for like a long time, you know, was the, the hobby that became a side hustle. And in 2020, when I started to work from home as an occupational therapist with um, the COVID situation and work from home restrictions in place, it sort of kind of crept into more of my day <laughs> and got to a point where I was working four days a week for a private practice and then kind of, you know, finding that I was filling all my extra time outside of work and training with coaching. And it just became very prevalent that I needed to make a real decision, especially as things started to open up again after COVID. Of um, In private practice, the way I was working was going out to people's houses to see them for sessions mm-hmm. and treatment. So there was a lot of commute time. Um, and I was like, I don't have time for that anymore. I have, I have all these coaching clients to work with. So I ultimately decided that it was clear kind of where my heart was and where I was investing yeah. my time and energy and made the big move. And, you know, I'm very, very grateful. I had such a supportive place of employment to allow me to like work four days and then work a few less hours. And then I think that, you know, they knew what was coming, but out slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And it allowed me to expand from like the business side and, and make sure mm-hmm. that I felt confident it was working versus just you know, one day taking that leap entirely. So that felt nice. (laughs) Well, that was going to be my question. Like, how scary was that? Like, were you, how did you feel when you finally made that decision? Was it a relief or was it like, oh my God, what have I done? It was a relief for sure, because I finally felt like I had the time and space to really dive into coaching and invest all my energy there and, you know, put in like the work. And then I think it also held a lot of imposter syndrome for me because sometimes well, I mean, I think we all do it, right? Even with racing and stuff like, who am I to do this? Or who am I to have that? And I I feel like there's a certain list of credentials I do have. And then there's, you know, a million that I don't. And, you know, and I don't have 20 years experience coaching. I have, you know, now six. (laughs) And and that's, but there's all this rehab background that I have prior to that. And it just, yeah, it took more reassurance of like looking at what's there and, um, you know, how things are going, like they're going well (laughs) to kind of, yeah, feel comfortable with that transition. I think, um, knowing that I like, again, my place of employment was so supportive. And even within the first year of me leaving every now and then I'd get a message being like, Hey, do you want work? Hey, do you want work? And I'd be like, Oh, I actually don't have time for it. Like, but thank you. So it, it does feel like that door is very open. And that's mm. like a nice kind of, um, thing to know Security in the back of my mind. Blanket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not at the point yet where I have to figure out like licensing for hours of work. That's a whole nother probably conversation. Right. 
fail for runners, but at some point I'll have to make a really big decision, right? Of if I'm going back and maintaining my hours as an OT or not. Um, and I'm not that there was yet. the oh, hardest no. part for me, by the way, when I, when I had to finally make that, um, like I let my license go, I held on to it for the longest time. I think I might've held on to it for like six or seven years after. And then I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm not even using it. Like I, I don't need this. And, I'm but it was like an identity crisis a bit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah like I, I say I'm an occupational therapist and I was like, oh, one day I might not be able to say I'm a registered occupational therapist. Correct. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. strange and weird because you invest so much of your time to, to, you know, just like your training right into your studies. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, let me ask you this then. Do you think that you use, like you mentioned, you, you have all that educational background, like you learn about the human body and all of that through OT. Do you feel like you apply that in any way uh, through your coaching? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's one where I think it's just really um, like you can't maybe technically record those as OT hours because there isn't like the, um, the uh, healthcare practice associated with it. Right. Like I don't have charting and confidentiality agreements and things like that, but um, yeah, in the actual like way of carrying out my coaching, I use a lot of occupational therapy skills. Uh, Sometimes it's, you know, adapting people's activities to better suit like an injury recovery and working alongside a physiotherapist to do that. Right. I'm like, how Mm -hmm. can we grade this activity? Like that is pure occupational therapy. And we talk a lot about sleep hygiene, stress management strategies. Yeah. The OTs I've worked with in the past, it was routine management and strength, Mm -hmm. sleep hygiene, like yeah, organizing your life. And that's essentially what you need to be able to do. As and a runner, I, I was, as a successful runner, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, and I found in occupational therapy, I was working so much with people to organize their life around, you know, returning to uh, work. I was in private practice, right? So a lot of it was um, brain injury, mental health, things like that, concussion recovery, and how to get back to work. And then often using recreational pursuits as a way to get to that end goal, we call it, right, of the occupation as a paid employment Whereas now I'm working with people to do the leisure activity as the means and end and like working on the life skills alongside that a lot of the time. And, you know, whether that's talking to family about support for training hours, planning vacation alongside training and just finding that reassurance that there'll be enough time for all the things. Yeah, there is so much huh. overlap. And every day I'm, I'm grateful for my OT skills that come into coaching. Yeah. Yeah, you put that so, so perfectly. Now, um, we were going to ask you about this later on, but, you know, many of us coaches have coaches and we understand that you're being coached by David Roach. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been with him uh, since the end of 2018. Awesome. And I know that I find when I I am coached by somebody, I also learn a lot about coaching by being coached, you know, and I think it makes me a better coach. So again, I'll flip that back to you. Do you, do you notice the same thing with, you know, having a coach and then, you know, some of those insights that you get from being coached can also then benefit your clients? Absolutely. Yeah. I think David is a huge mentor for me and he knows that, right? Like he'll ask sometimes, how's coaching going? How, you know, how's everything feeling? And he was one of the hugest supporters, you know, alongside Katrina, my business partner, and like my life partner, Matt, in helping me take that big step of going full-time in coaching, you know, just really reassuring me that like, yes, you have the skills for this, you know, you have the mindset for this, you have the experience for this. And um, yeah, he's a huge supporter. And I find through having a coach, I, I absolutely learn so much. Like he, you know, just even him programming um, things for me when I need them and just being mm-hmm. supportive of me and in a non-judgmental way, always, like, it, it helps, it helps really reinforce the way that I want to coach, you know, where it's a space for so much more than just saying that you logged your miles. Um, yeah. So I feel like he gives me, whether he's like, you know, whether he does that officially or not, he gives me permission to like be myself in coaching mm-hmm. and to talk about more than running. And, and that's, I think, really special. 
Wow. Okay. So I actually want to ask you a little bit more about your coaching philosophy and his coaching philosophy with regards to you, but let's just back up a little bit to just kind of go back to how in the world did you get into running in the first place? Were you one of those like junior high, high school athletes, you know, doing track right from the beginning or, you know, how did the whole love affair with the sport start for you? Yes and no to that one. Like I was, I was in um, track and field and I always ran the longest distances possible, but I didn't do cross country because it was the same time as volleyball season. And I loved the team sport and volleyball in high school. Um, and so I, I was right in, yeah, with track, I would do the 1500 and 3000 meter because again, that's what, what was available, but I wasn't like good at it. <laughs> um, so I, I wasn't one of those you know, those kids who wanted to like train so hard and win every race and go to provincials. Like I showed up and I did the thing and I thought it was pretty fun. And I liked, you know, meeting people that were doing track and field and hanging out at the track meets. Um, but I wasn't overly like, I'm competitive in the moment, but I wasn't overly driven, I would say in terms of mm. the training and what it takes. So like I never ran in provincials or like there was no mm. university racing. I was the one who did like a you know, an 8K turkey trot when there was a bib available kind of thing. So I didn't get into more advanced running, I would say, until um, after my undergrad. And I, it was through the undergrad that I had a few opportunities to like race a half marathon. And I did all those, like I did my first half marathon and my first marathon and my only road marathon, <laughs> um, kind of on a whim where somebody had a bib available and I was like, yeah, that seems fun. And, you know, I ran the first half marathon of mine, having never run further than a 10K I never trained beyond the half marathon distance for my first road marathon, like all things that are do not do's like, this is not how I coach people. This is not what I would do now. And somehow I just still loved it. And it kind of went okay enough um, that it kept me interested. And yeah, I transitioned to kind of trail running after that first marathon when I heard about the five peaks race series, when I lived in Edmonton, Alberta. Right. And yeah. So from there, I, when I moved back to BC, and went to occupational therapy, I think I was looking for like a way to still do those types of events during my master's and five peaks, you know, runs for four or five, I guess it's five <laughs> months of the year and has a race every month. So I just signed up for them all. And that was where I met a lot of people who were running, you know, much farther than the five peaks courses. And they kind of planted the seeds. Selena, like the race director at the time was like, you need to do an ultra. And I, you know, would go home and be like, what's that? <laughs> so that's kind of what got me into it. And then once I finished occupational therapy, um, you know, being kind of goal oriented, it was like, well, I guess I should sign up for the next big thing. Maybe I should train for a 50K. Uh, and so that's what I did. <laughs> and why yeah, not? And then, yeah, why not? Like, I kind of have that mentality of why not, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I find it really interesting that you got into trail running in Edmonton, like after living on the island, Chilliwack, Abbotsford, you know, the places where you can run year round on trails. It was Edmonton that you got into trail running in the Five Peaks series. And I mean, Edmonton is actually surprisingly quite a hilly place and has some great trails as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. I always find that part funny, too, of like my first trail race and the first ultra I heard about was because of Edmonton. And then, yeah, it really took off once I was back in BC. But I, I love that. Like, I think that's just a funny part of the story. Of, like, I did my first, my first half was the hypothermic half in Edmonton. It was minus oh, 20. Oh, no way. Like, who likes that and decides to go back? <laughs> Me. With people from Edmonton and Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Where did you do your road marathon? I actually did that in Abbotsford. So I came home on, I, I can't remember, it was um, May. So that must have been summer break for university, if I'm remembering correctly, a while ago now. And yeah, did the, it doesn't exist anymore, but the Run for Water Road Marathon. I thought it would be neat. Like I thought 
I, I guess I instinctively knew I needed a bigger why than just doing a marathon. So I liked the idea of coming home and racing in my hometown and, you know, running roads and distances up here that I'd never even done before. And I was like, yeah, that'll be a cool, like, that'll be a cool concept. I'll give that a go. <laughs> and what I can tell you is farm roads for 40K are very flat and you can see very, very far. <laughs> but it was a flat course, so I, mean, I can't complain. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm actually one of those one and dones with road marathons as well. I, um, I've done one road marathon. I've done many, many ultras since, but I've never been tempted to go back to the road. Um, but my, maybe part of my problem was I did the Ukulele Tofino um, one, um, Edge to Edge. And I chose it because it was so flat. But that was the problem is it was so flat, like my mm -hmm. knees just blew up at about 30K and I hadn't been used to running that much flat where your feet hit the ground like the same way every time. And you're right, I could yeah. see like <laughs> at that point it didn't go on the beach. It was just the road. Oh, gosh. So you could just see very straight line in front of you. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. my time was decent because there were no hills. It just hurt. Yeah, um, it just hurts. That, that's a road marathon, yeah. I think, in the best summary. It just hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you... <laughs> You evolved very, I won't say quickly, because it, I mean, it did take some years, but you, your experience with ultras really did, you know, spike pretty quickly in the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us a little bit about how that evolved from, oh, I'm going to do a 50K to mm -hmm. intentionally choosing races, intentionally doing some training, and eventually ending up winning on the world stage. So, yeah. Tell yeah. us about how all that happened. <laughs> yeah, as you said, like it started off very unintentional. Everything looked fun. So I definitely, you know, probably did way, well, I know I did way too much uh, and, and luckily got away with it. Um, pretty injury free, but it was, it was around, yeah, I guess 2018 when I had the random idea that I would go and, and take the course record at the Squamish 50-50. Uh, which was previously held by Caitlin Gerben, who's a professional runner and you know, has come forth at Western States. And I, I just, I had written out a plan for myself. Like I had done that already. And I just felt like I would let myself out of it, you know, like when it's your own work and your own training, I would probably question it too much along the way. And um, I wanted the accountability of a coach. So that was when I reached out to David and that was really like, yeah, late winter of 2018 with the registration already complete to run that August. Um, so like that same year. And I just said, you know, I think I'll do better if I have a plan with somebody and, and somebody to kind of keep me on track. So I reached out and he took me on and I said, like my first email was, hi, I'm Jenny. And I want to take Caitlin Gerben's course record at the Squamish 50-50. And my last time is five hours slower than hers. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, okay. Who's this? Right? Um, and he's never told me if he had any uh, other thoughts, <laughs> but he graciously took me on and probably was like, okay, this is one to tuck under the wing and, and help along the way. Who's this cowgirl from Canada who thinks she can just... <laughs> I probably spelled Caitlin's name wrong. Like, you know, I, I hadn't Googled who she was. I was just like, I've done the Squamish 50, 50-50. I run out here all the time. You know, it was two or three years ago at that point in it. I was like, yeah, I want to run five hours faster. Seems fine. <laughs> and so that, yeah, that was when I got really intentional with training and racing. And I think it was a, it was the right time because I was ready to just hand over the reins, right? And I was like, whatever David said, as long as things were feeling good, that's what I did. And, um, you know, he really steered the, I call it the party train. Like he steered the party train and being like, you know, these are some good lead up races. No, you don't need more races. No, you know, you don't need right. long adventures. You have to get specific leading up to the race, you know, all those types of things. And then since then, like I've just obviously stuck with him and, and trusted his kind of like leadership and 
um, been intentional since then because he's, you know, he's a good, uh, he's a good person to give you all the hype, but he also knows, you know, how much is too much. So um, basically mm-hmm. since then it's every year we've kind of laid out a plan and I've been like open and transparent with him. Like I want to do the big things and I want to see how well I can do at the big things. And I'm mm-hmm. basically here for the long haul. So, you know, he said pretty early on, like, you know, true running development can take seven years and I'm not somebody yeah. who came from a collegiate background. Right. So it's like, yep. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. here we go. Year one. Like I don't need to do it all tomorrow. Cause I won't. <laughs> and so let's just see where this goes and keep things evolving as we go. So it's been, yeah, pretty intentional really since then. And like, it's, it's changed a lot over time, but, um, it's been pretty focused. Like I've been, I'll be in my training log every day. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you're, we're talking 2018 to 2019 here and then COVID happened where, mm-hmm. you know, races didn't particularly happen, but you still managed to do some running, um, in 2020, you set three new FKTs. So which ones were those? Those were going to make me um, pull from my memory here. Those, they were, yeah, they were fun projects. They're just, there weren't any FKTs really set in the local area of the Fraser Valley and Manning Park around, like they're relatively local to me. So, okay, somebody needs to do this. So I did the Mount McFarlane FKT, uh, which I believe is about 19K return of a straight out and back up the mountain with like, I think 1800 meters of gain, um, all, you know, within the first, whatever it is, I guess, uh, just under um, 10k and it's a pretty gnarly mountain so that was that was a really fun one I actually did that one twice because the first day I went out conditions were not great I took a lot of time to send safety messages on my way up because I was in the clouds on an open mountain face scramble so okay. I, I was yeah. like hey okay, I'm you know at the first lake now going up the ridge okay I'm at the top of the ridge I'm going down okay I'm back at the lake um, good for you did Thank you have you. a in reach yeah or a spot <laughs> my in reach yeah. device yeah okay. with my partner yeah. I was like you are my safety person today I got I was the only one up there so you know it was it was really I think important that day so I went back later in um fall actually in October when it was dry and redid it and posted I think 30 minutes faster which was nice like I just I just knew that day could have been a lot smoother um, and then I did the three lake loop. I'll call it, there's Lindemann Flora Green Drop Lake with Kat Drew, um, another local awesome runner. And she's, so she came out with me and we had a pretty, like, that was a pretty fun day. We saw some bears, we ate some snacks and, <laughs> and put up a, you know, a fun time so that hopefully people will go out there and, and challenge it. And then the other one was the three brothers in Manning Park. And that is again, about, I think 20 K out and back relatively runny, flowy, quite a busy hiking trail. So just beautiful. Um, and that was, yeah, another super fun, fun day. I like Manning Park. Yeah. I do. Manning Park but is Fat amazing. Fat Dog hasn't been on your list yet. <laughs> it's not. I like going to Fat Dog. <laughs> it's, it's maybe there in the future. I can honestly say that now. I wouldn't have said that too long ago, but um, like I know, I know, you know, Eric, the race director that's working really yeah. hard on many things. And I just, it's a special race for sure. It just needs to be the right year. Yeah. No, it's, it's a big, when you bite it off, it takes a while to chew that race for yeah, sure. But exactly. Never ran in a more beautiful place. Oh, it's just mm. amazing. Yeah. Okay. So from what we can tell, 2022 was a huge year for you. So let's talk about some of the highlights. What stands out to you from 2022? 2022 was one of those years that just kind of snowballed <laughs> into the next thing. Uh, I think it was a really special year, like a main theme, maybe highlight is that for me, it was a a big year of dipping my toe in really competitive races and racing internationally. Um, so that was super cool. Like getting to do Chuckanut uh, 50K, which is only 45 minutes from my home. I've ran that course many times, but getting to show up at the start line of Chuckanut 
where, you know, it's one of the most competitive early season ultras. That was just like the, you know, the right way to kick off the year. Um, yeah. And, and what then, was your result at chucking it? I came eighth there for women. Okay. Nice. Yeah. It was, Congrats. I can't, thank you. I can't remember my time. I think it was, uh, yeah, I don't actually remember. You might have it there um, for something, but I can't remember if it was like 45 or 434, but yeah, eighth for women. Um, and it was, it was a really good training race. Like it was really intent, again, intentionally placed to prepare me for Canyon's 100 K. And mm-hmm. so I, I felt like in that race, it was like, I was trying to experience being in a field where there's so many women, like really, you know, probably 20 plus women who could win on the right day and mm-hmm. just see what that felt like. And that set me up, um, yeah, for Canyon's hundred K in April, where again, it was a, a big field, a really competitive golden ticket race and, mm-hmm. uh, down in, I'd say, you know, the Canadian, the heat of California. Well, and this so. year it was super hot as well. I was actually supposed to be at that race, I had to pull out because of health, health issues, but I was kind of great, grateful when I saw how hot it was and like people I knew mm-hmm. that live in Southern California dropping because of the heat. Yeah, absolutely. But you rocked yeah. it. You got 11th there I, did. I believe yes. yeah thank you it was uh it was definitely a very ch- like tough day for me uh I feel like I raced for about 50k of the 100k I kept running you know for the next maybe 20 or 30 and then I really had a nice hike spectating the end of the race. <laughs> I, I I got actually it was a yeah a good race for me to learn about the competitive field and going into something with a bit more of a performance goal like getting a golden ticket and I, yeah, I think I got to the point where I knew it wasn't happening and I didn't have another why for the race. And I mm-hmm. didn't, I hadn't really developed that thought yet around like seeing what I could do within that field versus going for the ticket. Right. So, so for, sorry, for those of our listeners that don't know what it takes to get a golden ticket, it's the top two females and males, correct? Yes. And this year yeah. that the year I did it. So last year was unique. And because of COVID restrictions, closing a few races, there were three tickets up for oh, grab. Okay. Yeah. So first, second and third um, man and woman would get a golden ticket into Western States, which. Yeah. To Western States. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like six weeks after. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On the the same, almost the same course, right? The Canyons 100 runs a significant portion of the state's course. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to be that same year. Like you have to. Oh, so it's kind of a riskier one, I guess, then. It's the last one. So you see some people who have ran already in golden ticket races this year coming back to go for it again and others who show up, you know, maybe building their fitness out of winter and want that bit more time into spring. Um, and yeah, like I was like, it's my kind of first time going for a golden ticket. Let's do canyons and see what happens. And in many ways, I'm so, so grateful that I was a ways off because it gave me a chance to reset after and, um, think more about it. And also like determine if I was truly dedicated to the idea of racing Western States because at canyons hundred K, you know, and the day wasn't going so smoothly and it wasn't all beautiful and lovely. I was like, I don't want to race this again. (laughs) And now I can't wait to. (laughs) Well, okay, so let's just summarize a little bit where you were at in your kind of not just training age, but distances that you'd done. The previous year you did the Canadian Death Race, which is, yes, it's 118 kilometers, folks. They're finally admitting it's not 125. Um, uh, the Ultra Trail to Hurricana, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. 125. 25. Yeah. Uh, so then Canyon's 100K. So you've had, at that point, you had, you know, 300K races plus, plus, you know, Skomish 50-50, I kind of count <laughs> like, like doing 100K, yeah. really. Um, so a, 
a lot at that distance, but no 100 milers yet. Right. Uh, but... 2022 wasn't over, so tell us more. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, when your goal race doesn't go as planned, you pivot. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had I, when I did canyons, I had nothing planned for after canyons. It was like run canyons, see what happens. So I finished it, and I was like, hey, well, <laughs> I'm I, a I'm not that tired or beat up because I literally ran 50 miles and hiked 20, <laughs> 20k, okay. yeah. and so I came out of it, and I was like, like, coach, I'll rest. Obviously, we still did the full, you know, rest day rest like week and a half, but I was like, I'm ready. Like I, I feel really good. I'm kind of re-inspired and I had already, well, I guess as an entree, I didn't have, it wasn't that I had nothing on the calendar. I had Thailand by UTMB, the Doethanon race on the calendar, but it was really planned um, as like a, you know, bonus on the calendar. Like I was just going to go there and be a tourist and enjoy a winter race in Thailand. And I was signed up to do the hundred K and I really hadn't honestly given it much thought. I don't think we had even booked flights. No, we definitely hadn't booked flights before winter. (laughs) And so I, I then heard in September. So yeah, in September, um, they announced that it would become a golden ticket race. And when they announced that it became a golden ticket race, I reached out to David and just said, I remember my email. I said, tell me if I'm jumping ahead of myself. Tell me if I am, you know, maybe grasping at straws. And if I just need to refocus on the plan, like rein me in, it's totally fine. But the 100 miler in Thailand uh, just became a golden ticket race for Western states for the 2023 year. Like, what do you think? And his response was something to the effect of YOLO. (laughs) Like, let's do this. Like, let's do this. Well, and they then announced that it was, or maybe always was, a World Series race, too, which gave Mm -hmm. you double points. And the top 10 um, males and females had an automatic entry to UTMB as well. Yes. Yeah. So there there was a lot, a lot of... um, why to do this yeah. race? <laughs> yeah, a lot of I call it a lot of carrots. Yeah, <laughs> in this for race, sure. like all these things, just you know, again, like coming out of canyons, UTMB Thailand had all these things and all these reasons I could do it. You know, if if it was going really well, again, it's my first hundred miler ever. There were two golden tickets available. If it was going okay, there was ten positions to get into UTMB, and those two, like just combined, I think obviously brought out a really fun field of athletes I've never gotten to race before. And um, yeah, just created a whole huge environment. It was, yeah, such a special experience, but yeah, it made me, it made me want to sign up for the hundred miler. And, you know, I figured the hundred K there was pretty, you know, going to be pretty brutal, pretty technical, pretty climby that I was like, well, like, you know, at some point if the hundred K runs kind of like a hundred miler, maybe I should just do the hundred miler and figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. So we changed the entry and they let me do that. And yeah, all, everything kind of redirected towards going to a hundred miler. Right. Well, and there is something to be said for being uh, a newcomer to an event, right? Like you kind of mm-hmm. go in with um, not really maybe the same expectations you would if you were seasoned in that way. And so uh, tell us more about this race in Thailand. Like what did you do to prepare? When did it take place first of all? And what did you do to prepare? The race was December 8th, I believe um, okay. so early December. Yeah. And so I was training here in BC all the way up and training really just shifted. I did a 50K in Mammoth in September, Mammoth, California. And um, that was a great one with lots of vert and, you know, at altitude. So Hi, it was yeah. just, yeah, it was just like a really good kind of training experience. And then once I came back from that, like for me, I just shifted everything to being on our most difficult technical trails and getting as much vertical gain as possible to really develop 
my kind of hiking economy, I'll say, and and getting familiar and specific with climbing, using poles, carrying so much gear because the mandatory gear list for that race is is very long and you have to have a lot of items with you. So I just got used to the technical kind of specifications of the race and then like physically tried to prepare as much as possible for you know, the patience it takes to move and climb uphill when you're trying to cover a hundred miles, like it is, Mm. it is long. (laughs) And so I just really like David programs in distance, not by time. So I took those time or the distances and tried to make them truly take as long as possible while still moving at reasonable efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a lot of hill workouts on very steep hills, like somewhere. uh, One day I remember I didn't take my poles and I should have. And I was doing uh, like run up for 10 minutes hard and then down. And I didn't even go back down to the same starting point because getting down was taking me longer than going up. And it was just a loose kind of scramble down. And the next day my shoulders were the most sore because I had been pulling up. On oh, things. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I just started scaling mountains. <laughs> Let, let's pause for a minute. You said he's, this sounds the opposite of what you tend to hear a lot of coaches coaching now in the ultra world. He trains on distance rather than time. And you try to make the runs last as long as possible. That's completely the opposite of what you would be intuitively thinking. I'm going to try to go as fast as possible and be as efficient as possible. And you're saying that you did that by just giving yourself lots of different variety and terrain, both in vert and in footing and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff is that what I'm hearing yeah correctly? yeah because yeah. when I looked at the Thailand course like all I could see were these massive climbs and descents and I had heard from people in the past that you know these are very unused or trails that are just put in for the race really like they and okay. that that rang true like they are very unique trails that are a lot of them are cut in for the race and um, you know others are are well-established trails but they are still very very rooty and rocky I would I would compare it to the Hurt 100 course in Hawaii and then some, honestly, because of the grade of the trails. And I had seen the times and I was like, you know, the winning time um, the year prior, I think it was 26 hours for women. And it was a different course with way more road. So I was like, okay, like I don't want to do a, um, you know, a 30 K run that's done in three hours. That's really yeah, yeah. Not, not comparable. You. Yeah, and I knew right. like, you know, we know like aerobic benefits after a certain point aren't necessarily the point. It was learning how to fuel for that long, how to stay out for that long. And again, being patient and um, just making sure that I could handle the gear and the poles and things like that. So yeah, I took to, again, like thankfully here, I have tons of options when it comes to that type of terrain, but I just took to extending the time that I didn't, I didn't choose the runnable routes, I'll say. (laughs) Right. How did you address the heat and humidity like did you do any sauna training steam room sure did (laughs) sure did yeah so uh, at the end of September I actually I have a um, like a custom traditional sauna in my house that was a training purchase uh, life life purchase yeah yeah (laughs) I wanted one for years like you know just for the various health benefits and so it was kind of that extra push of being like you know I've thought about this for years I really wanted one we know we'll use it all the time and I actually saunaed every day for six weeks and um, just up to 30 minutes at about okay. 85 to 90. Um, so whatever one's that one in. I don't Celsius. It has both. Yeah. I can't remember the yeah. readings, but yeah. Celsius. And uh, I think, yeah, in Fahrenheit um, up to 194, it goes Ooh, like about around there. Hot, hot. hot. Yeah. yeah. Hot yeah. in a seat, like a traditional wood sauna. And um, 
so I built up my time intolerance, but always only going up to 30 minutes and then following, you know, the, the proper heat protocols of trying not to hydrate for 30 minutes after mm-hmm. and, and then properly rehydrating. But I found I needed to do it daily because I am not good. Like I am not a fast responder to heat. And I really did feel it click after weeks of exposure. And mm-hmm. I think the only times I didn't do it were if I had a really, really long Saturday run, you know, and I came back and I was just like depleted and I was like, that's mm-hmm. just going to harm me. Yeah, <laughs> then too I, much then stress. I, yeah, I'm going to be a raisin. So I wouldn't do it on those days, but I did it most other days. And then I um, just did maintenance kind of leading up as I got closer to the race with every, you know, two to three days. Um, and I felt great. Like I, I love the sauna now. And then I also had my cooling strategies in place for in the race. So um, I like to make sure there's ice everywhere that can melt onto me. Um, in that race, honestly, it was so humid that I was wet, like with my own sweat, really, the entire race. So I think that actually helped a bit. And then there were a lot of creek crossings. Um, and mm-hmm. I found uh, I didn't, I didn't, there's only one section, I'd say, where the heat felt, you know, quite deadly as you descend into the valley because there, you know, as you go lower, it gets hotter. So we would descend back into some of the lower areas. And I remember the one exposed section, it was about 12 kilometers. And I was like, like this is hot and and people who maybe hadn't heat trained were really backing off in that section um, and I just carried a lot of water I think I always had a liter and a half on me um, and that was enough but right. you know close at times <laughs> yeah wow mm-hmm. so you know we could probably spend two hours breaking down every detail of that race yeah. I would love to because I'm so <laughs> curious about it but does anything are there any highlights that stand out like mm-hmm. uh, how competitive was it were you racing the whole time or did you have periods of time where you were like you know I've got a solid lead here I can relax mm-hmm. now I did not ever get to that point knowingly <laughs> um, it felt it felt like a race but it also you know for me again it was my first hundred miler so I went in being like the end goal is to finish. And I think that really helped me click into just running my own race. Like if, if people were going to go out and be, you know, three hours ahead of me, like that, I was just letting go of control of that and trying to just focus on following my plan, executing my strategy, because I wanted to make sure, you know, the first um, like 130 K right of a hundred, it was actually 170. So it was actually like just over a hundred miles, 106 miles or something. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I was getting to that point, right. And not DNFing because of a mistake trying to keep up with somebody that was doing something different. So right. from the get-go, I knew I knew roughly where I was. Like I knew I was in the top 10 for sure. I thought kind of in the top five. And I knew that there was one or one in particular woman who was like out front. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's cool. That's fine. Um, but mm-hmm. then she ended up having, I think, half an hour on me by the 50K mark. And I saw her coming down the road. So I knew where she was. And I was like, you know what? Like we're heading into the night. Again, it's only 50, like not even a third of the way, like I'm good. (laughs) And so, um, it wasn't really a race until somewhere in the middle of the night. I think, um, I honestly can't remember. I think it was maybe around the hundred K mark where there's an aid station where I got to see Matt, my partner and crew again. And the two, I was in third at this point and I knew that, um, and the, the two women in first and second were there. So the, I think the one, the person who moved into first at that point had left a few minutes ago and the woman who had been leading all day was there and not doing well. And I came in, I saw Matt and I was like, Oh, like, where are they? But he's like, well, one of them's like right there. And I was like, Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Like, that sounds great. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it kind of clicks onto that competitive mode. So after mm-hmm. that, I knew I was in second. And I would say that was when I continued to stick to my plan, but knew that I had gained on on them. So I just kept chipping away. And I was like, hey, doing my own thing is clearly working. I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I passed, in, I moved into first place in the morning of, I guess, day, yeah, day two um, with about 30K, no, 40K to go. Uh, okay. So Matt, Matt was like, you have a marathon to go. And I was like, cool, great. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. See you in seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I caught her at the aid, the last aid station where we got to see our crew with about 40K to go. And then I actually passed her 6K from there. So I had, you know, just over 30K left when I took the lead and we didn't really stick together when I passed her you know, she was really hot. She was really tired. And she, she expressed that like, I'm so tired. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like, and I, yeah, just let it, you, you let it fuel no. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to let it fuel your competitive fire. Right. Like yeah, in right that now. moment, like we're going to get the best out of ourselves and each other if we keep like mm. pushing each other. So it was kind of that, like, I was like, okay, it's my turn to see if she comes with me. Cause I've caught her. Um, right. so I, I ran that last, yeah, 30 ish K not knowing where she was, but I put on a lot of, of distance, which I found out at the end, but I, I ran shoulder checking for sure for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, we had yeah. Ilsa McDonald on the mm. podcast. Um, she came second at Western States last yeah. year, I believe. And, um, she was talking about, um, you know, a 90 mile warm up for a 10 mile race or something like totally. that, wasn't it, Kim? Yes, that's um, exactly what so she said. So it, it yeah. almost sounds to me like that's what you were doing, but I think it takes a lot of trust in yourself and mm-hmm. confidence in your own ability and your training and not to be like, you know, FOMO, right? Like not yeah. to care what other people are doing and just sort of do your own thing and then have like be checking in internally. And can I do mm-hmm. this? Can I do this? Can I still do this? You know? So it sounds to me like that's that, that happened in your race as well. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I was like, I, you know, I would, I would hike hills and I was like, I don't think I'll run this in five hours. So I'll hike now, you know, making sure I stuck right. to my fueling plan, not rushing things like my shoe changes or aid stations, just, right you know, making sure I wasn't falling on the steep downhills, (laughs) stuff like that, that I was like, I'm going to just take care of me. And then that there is your OT personal management coming (laughs) back. Totally. Well, that's exactly what an ultra and especially a hundred miler is. It's, it's like you said, there's a certain point cardiovascular fitness is not, not the limiter anymore. It's personal management and, Mm -hmm. and making sure you stay within yourself. Yeah. Sarah, my friend, Sarah used to always say that, Kim, would you be running this four or five, 10 hours from now? No. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dial it back. And I think there's like a level of acceptance of being like, if, somebody's answer to that is yes and it's accurate like go them (laughs) you know but you have to play within your own bounds and there's probably times like western states right where maybe you are playing with that fire a little bit more um but like you said it's it's going to be a riskier strategy right exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. and there's confidence in that too but it yeah I wanted Thailand just to be like a a sure thing in some way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, what a way to break out your debut 100 miler. I'm curious, what was your finishing time? Like how, you know, were you in the 26 hour range or were you a lot under? (laughs) No, I was 27, 27 uh, and something, I think 25 or 30 minutes. I think I've said 27 and a half hours. It was a bit under that. So that's great. (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks. It was like, again, to me with that course with, what was it? 10,500 meters or something or 11,000 meters and and the technicality of the trails like that was the whole other piece that that was that was fine like I went in not knowing um 
really how different the course was from the year prior. So it's like, I don't know, 24 to 28 hours, like hopefully not night two, like there's a 48 hour cutoff and I hope to be ahead of that. And <laughs> I was. Like, That's yeah, you were. <laughs> I really had no idea what to expect. And I just planned like amounts of fuel basically to get me through to 26, 27 hours. And that's, yeah, magically where it landed. <laughs> My daughter was just in a track meet today. She's grade eight. So she was like doing the 100 and the 200 and the 300 and stuff. And I guess in the 100, it came down to a photo finish. Like they had to actually wow. go and look at because it wow. was that close, right? And and so then I was telling her when, when she got home, I'm like, yeah, the shorter the race, like the less margin for yes. error and the tighter it is and, and everything. And when you get into ultras, you could be winning by like four hours, hours. or something like that. <laughs> and, and so you're, you're speaking to this beautifully. I just had this conversation like an hour ago. It's so yeah. true. You have have so much time out there and things do space out right like that 30 minutes in the first 50k did not matter by the end you know well but conversely if you get spaced out by three or four hours it's pretty hard to gain even one position right yes so yeah yeah, yeah that's okay. true it's a lot to catch up on <laughs> for sure Okay, so you've spent a lot of time on the trail and on the road in the last few years doing a huge variety of different races all over the world. What have you learned over the the last two or three years or four years of racing um, in all these different places? Oh, that's that's a lovely question. I think there's so many different ways I could answer that. Um, okay, let, let me narrow it down. What have you hmm. learned about yourself? Perfect. I think that's where I was going to start. Is it? I think I've learned a lot about myself. So <laughs> again, good question. Um, I think it's really allowed me to like um, go all in on something, but also hold it lightly. And I've learned how to do that because running can be so special and so powerful. And I, I really think that there's, you know, so much to gain from running, but it also at the end of the day is running. Like it's yeah. literally running, <laughs> it's, yes. you know, it's both the silliest thing and the most deeply meaningful thing. Mm. And I've really learned how to separate those lessons that a bad result doesn't make me a bad runner or a bad person for dedicating mm. my time to this or a bad coach for thinking I can tell other people how to do this. It, you know, bad days happen for all of us and we owe ourselves that grace and self-compassion when those or injuries happen. Right. And we owe ourselves that yeah. grace and compassion when we go through those tough times. Um, but how we show up to those moments is more reflective of of who we are. And I think racing in different scenarios, um, different settings, different fields has really helped me to see that, that I don't have to be better than every other woman out there to be a good coach, a good person, a good mm -hmm. runner. Um, mm -hmm. And that has been like a really powerful lesson that just makes me love this sport even more. Um, and yeah. that, yeah, the more that we like take care of ourselves, the more that we can show up for ourselves and everything else in life. And that's a really hard and tricky balance sometimes, but uh -huh. I think, yeah, running continues to force me in different ways to learn that lesson yeah. and to expand um, in different ways. We had some, we had our um, 5k, 10k male Canadian road record holder on the podcast, Ben wow. Flanagan. And we always ask these like end of the podcast questions. And one of them was like, you know, what's your running mantra or something like that. And he was like, running means everything and it means nothing. <laughs> and yes. I think that's kind of what you're speaking to is that yeah. it is a tricky balance. It is a mm -hmm. delicate, but it can, they're, they're opposite, but they're, they can both be true at the same mm -hmm. time. 
right? So you learn to not take yourself too seriously. Then it makes those, you know, times when everything comes together on the day, like that much sweeter, right? But it it Mm -hmm. softens the blow on those days where maybe things didn't go your way or luck wasn't on your side. Yeah, exactly. Happens a lot in ultras, doesn't it? Absolutely. It can happen (laughs) even in the course of an ultra in all sorts of ways. There are ups and downs. And I think a lot of um, Celtic pro runners will say things like, I run my best race when I'm happy or when I'm excited or when I, when I actually don't like care too much about the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's really powerful to know that all levels of runners can embrace that mentality, not mm. just the ones who do that and end up winning. And, right. Yeah. It's so yeah. easy to say when you mm-hmm. win the race to be like, I didn't even care about the outcome. But like, what, how <laughs> are you I on won. your like, no. <laughs> worst day? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. Well, um, we all have people that inspire us along the way. And I think we've, you've, you've mentioned a few people, does, but does anybody else stand out of, of someone who is really maybe influential on your journey towards ultras? Yeah, I think like, I mean, I could, I could probably do some type of like awards speech, just listing people, but I think broadly speaking, it's honestly just the community of trail runners. And one thing that I'm really, really inspired by is the women who have shown up in this sport throughout history that like some of you, you've had some of them on the podcast and listening to that, like on an easy run just makes me like tear up with gratitude because mm. there has been a lot of work that has went into women's sport and women participating in sport and opening the doors to invite more people into this sport. So often whenever I feel like I need um, inspiration or I'm thinking about like, why the heck I care about doing this at all. (laughs) It's the, seeing the path of other women who have paved much, you know, much harder roads to get into this sport and just being so darn grateful that they did because it's literally changed my life, um, in so many ways. (laughs) So yeah, I think just shout out to all the women who are showing up. Um, I'm not a mom, but I know seeing like for moms, seeing other moms do what they do and come back to professional racing is huge. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, I just think, I could lift them all up um, mm-hmm. again all day because that's, yeah, that, that's the group as a general um, just that gets me yeah really fired up and, and excited to be part of this sport. Well said. I think you echo the sentiments of many women, many of our <laughs> listeners. Um, okay. So you have another race season coming up here, 2023. Um, what's on the schedule and why did you choose those races? Yeah. So uh, I've had an interesting 2023 start so far. Uh, I had the Deception Pass Marathon. I went off course, so I did not technically finish the race. It was great. I had so much fun. Uh, I had my first experience going off course, so that was that. And then uh, this past this past weekend, I was supposed to race the Tillamook 50 miler, which I actually decided not to. Um, and I think that's important to share because, you know, races don't always go on the calendar and stay on the calendar. And that's the yeah. reality. Um, yeah. yeah. So that one got pulled from the calendar. So I could just have like a really fun training race or training, sorry, weekend here instead and um, let some things like tightness in my back kind of settle. And that's been fantastic. And then so like the next thing on the calendar, which is so silly is Western States 100 mile on June 24th. <laughs> So I'm basically, like, I'm going from Thailand to Western crazy. States and I was like, I've had like zero races, but <laughs> successful races, you know, on, in many accounts that you would look at that in the way and, or along the way. And I was like, that's not how I saw it going, but sometimes that's the perfect way for it to go. Yeah, so yeah. totally. And I'm like more stoked than ever for a big fun day and all the, so much more about Western States, but yeah, I'll have that one on June 24th. And then, 
Um, I am doing the UTMB CCC 100K uh, September 1st. So I asked UTMB for permission to not do the 100 miler and instead to do the 100K because I was like, hey, um, through you guys, I'm doing 300 milers this year and I would like to not. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, right, they honored right. that request, which is, and I think yeah. now they've actually created a more flexible approach with that, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to be doing the 100K there in September. Okay. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I was registered and got into CCC and ended up not being able to go because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And it devastated me because now yeah. it's not quite as easy to get into these races. Well, you can still qualify, but you have to go to the places. Like there's not as many yes. options, right? Yeah, especially for Canadians. Exactly. But the mm-hmm. reason I wanted to do CCC versus I still would love to do the full UTMB, but um, you get to see so much more of the course in the daylight. And I've talked to so many people who have said, yeah, like with CCC, all these sections would be in the dark during UTMB. So there you go. You're going to get to see a lot of it in the daylight anyways. And uh, when you do go back and do the full UTMB, which I'm sure you'll do at some point, um, you'll know, yeah, what you were, what you were missing. Do you have any aspirations of going back and, and redoing the road marathon? Ever? Good question, Carolyn. <laughs> she responds with outward laughter. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, no, I did too. I mean, I did too. <laughs> um, yes and no. So I like you know speaking of FOMO earlier, I like every time I see a world major go on, I'm like, oh, that looks so fun. And I did my first road marathon so undertrained that part of me is like, you know, before I feel like it's, I mean. It's, it's more difficult probably in many ways all the time, but like, like before, you know, before I'm like, I'm 34 now, before I'm 50, I think I would like to try for a road marathon because I would probably PB. And I, again, Mm -hmm. I really am drawn into the idea of like what I'm capable of. So I'm like, I would like to probably do that while I feel like there's something to kind of tap into there from a training and opportunity perspective within myself. Um, but then, you know, it comes down to it and I'm like, oh, do I want to train on the road on the weekends? No. <laughs> so, like maybe again, if it fits into a race plan, I could see it being re- really beneficial to some of these California runnable races, but, um, there is nothing on the calendar so far. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll be watching for you. <laughs> yes. You'll hear. You know what? Carolyn is a great ambassador for the marathon and for road running, just as I am for trails. But that's why we love sharing this podcast. We each, <laughs> we each balance each other out. Um, okay. So before we close the show, we haven't done this in a long time, but I really miss doing the rapid fire questions. And I think you would be a really fun guest to do these questions with. So I'm not sure if you had a chance to think about them in advance. No? I tried not to. So they would actually be re- like spontaneous. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So what, what the first thing that comes to your mind, here's the first question. What's your favorite running mantra? Oh, I, oh, not rapid fire. I have a few. Um, sometimes I just tell it's a funny one I've started to work with lately. Uh, for self-compassion and self-love, I tell myself, I love me some me. <laughs> so that's, that's the one that's, that's the flavor of the day right now. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's really good. Awesome. Okay. Next one. Do you have, Ooh, this might be tricky. Do you have a favorite place to run? So it doesn't have to be a race just like for training. Like where do you love to go? What makes you feel the most at home? I'm going to give a local shout out to my trails here. Um, Ledgeview and Abbotsford, BC. It's somewhere that the city is slating for a lot of development. So I'm going to say Ledgeview because I love it and I hope we can protect some of it. And Mm -hmm. I just want people to come see those trails and speak up for them. Right. Okay. All right. Um, 
I don't know, maybe it's one that's happening this year, but what is your bucket list race? I have so many. Uh, recently, Transvolcania by UTMB came, you know, as more of a radar having just been run. Um, the Mute, like Madeira, is a huge bucket list race. Tara Whirl in New Zealand. The list goes on. There's a whole <laughs> wide world out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jungles and long distances, crossing islands. Like that seems so cool. So. Mm-hmm. Good thing you're young. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite running book or movie? Oh, I definitely have a favorite well, running book. I, I love um, books. So I guess actually, I don't know if I have a favorite or more, just again, a list. Um, if you can't tell, I just list multiple things for rapid fire questions. <laughs> I, um, I really liked reading Out and Back by Hilary Allen because it's a story of overcoming injury and I think speaks to a lot of important themes in running. Um, Science Side, I loved Injure by Alex Hutchinson. And I'm actually currently listening to um, Solo by Jenny Tuff. And that has been a fantastic listen so far just for women who want to get out there and like push comfort zones or do things that they think are unthinkable. She's done them. <laughs> and is her, is her real last name Tough? Yes. Her name is Jenny Tough. <laughs> like she's meant for it. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yes. I'll have to put that one on my list. I'm always Highly. looking for new downloads. Okay. Final question. What's your favorite post run indulgence? Ooh. I probably would have to say a latte, which is not enough to be clear. A latte, a latte, a smoothie and a croissant. That's the meal. If I could have that at the end of every race, it's usually what I seek out at a good cafe post run. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. It's been really fun getting to know you. Where can people find you? Do you have a social channel people can follow you or if they want to hire you as a coach? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I have my own Instagram account is probably like the main way to find me. And that's Adventures of Genthar, which I'm sure you can just link somewhere for the spelling. And then uh, my coaching website is PacificPineRunningCo.com. So that also has a contact us form for um, learning more about coaching. And yeah, those are the two main ways I'd say. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, I knew this would be fun. You are a lovely person to chat with, and it sounds like you have a lot more to accomplish in the running world. So I'm really excited to see what, what you bring in this year and the next. So congratulations on your accomplishments so far and good luck with everything that's coming up this year. Thank you so much. 